Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch. This season, it's all about Fallout, so grab your book, your pen, and your notepad and follow along as we continue to build adventures for our merry little band of adventurers. And this week, we're finally getting to the other component of our show. My group finally finished the published adventure we ran to learn the rules and started running our content last week, so the second part of this show will be that recap. I also wanted to bring something up that I think I've made mistakes on a couple times over the past few weeks. When leveling up characters, they get a health point, a skill point, and a perk. I think I've accidentally said once or twice that they get a special point instead of a skill point, so I wanted to correct that. Okay, so with that out of the way, we build. Well, not quite yet. Seems I've been doing this almost every week, but I noticed while editing last week's episode that I once again left something out when I was writing it, and that is what exactly was in that heirloom the group stole for Corinth and Igmon. Truth is, I don't know. I know it's going to be something that's going to come into play at some point in the future, but I haven't decided what it is at this point. So let's just leave it as a MacGuffin and move on. By the way, if you don't know what a MacGuffin is, or MacGuffin, depending on how you pronounce it, do a Wikipedia search. And for the record, my MacGuffin is based on having a clock to put it in, so at least I've got some space to play with later. Now we build. As I hinted at above, last week our group did a little B&E, stealing an heirloom for a couple of wannabe gangsters. They also managed to make some caps doing it. At the end of the episode, we laid out the groundwork for this week's episode, which involved the group starting to gather information on Jackson Denman and his group of not-so-nice folks. We noted at the time that it's going to cost them 150 caps in total in payments and bribes to get the information they need. So picking up where we left off, I want to first mention that if the group wants to spend more than the 150 caps to ensure silence and or cooperation, they are most certainly invited to do so, and there won't be rules needed. I mean, let's roleplay that out. After all, extra money would buy my silence for certain things, so it stands to reason that extra caps will probably buy silence in this game. Victor is the only source the group cannot utilize in this manner, and I'll explain why in a minute. Jeb's also out since he and his granddaughters have left at this point. Liza's an option, provided they didn't tick her off earlier, though honestly it was probably only one of them who did that, so the others should have a fair shot at it. So long as they accomplished the job for Corinth and Igmom, they'd also be sources they could use for this. Now, if the group doesn't want to use or involve them, there's always going to be other options they can use. But I'm going to leave that to you to name them and figure out how they'd have access to the information I'm going to lay out here in a minute. Just make sure they're not big time movers and shakers. The types of folks, other than those I've already named, who the group would be going to are like the small-time collectors and scavengers, the types of people who know things because they've been listening to the scuttlebutt around town. Now, while it's true that some of their information may be based on them taking two unrelated pieces of information and linking them together, there's at least two pieces of information there for the group to work with. Of course, we have to note that the group has already seen and been in a facility that appears to be controlled either by Denman himself or associates of his, so they've got a location they could infiltrate as well, though we'll get to that momentarily. Here's the stuff they can get from their sources. Denman's a slippery snake of a dude. His name gets mentioned frequently when things go bump in the night, but nobody's ever been able to directly link him to the incidents his name comes up as a part of. 
There's a fellow who shows up in Diamond Pass from time to time looking to recruit folks with a scientific or chemicals background. Don't know what exactly they're doing, but the guy's easy to spot. He's got a wild hairdo, sort of like Einstein, and wears a white lab coat. Doesn't typically have issues getting help since he throws caps around like they're free. It's been said that high intelligence was attacked recently by a small group using chemicals that almost instantly dissolves metals. Of course, nobody can confirm this since high intelligence doesn't share information with anyone, unless you've got the caps to spend, that is. Word around the campfire is a group of raiders kidnapped a woman from one of the small settlements downtown a week or so, managed to sneak past the guard, take the woman, and get away. Rumor has it they have some sort of invisibility shield or something. Apparently, a legion of the Brotherhood infiltrated the lab she was being held in, executed everyone in it, and rescued the woman. From the descriptions, this is the job the group just did. The rest of their information gathering is stuff along the lines of what they've already got, just worded differently. And while they're in the process of gathering information, they get word that Victor would like to meet with them. And this is regardless of whether or not the job they did for him made him happy or angry being clear. So it's off to Diamond Pass and back to Victor. Much as last time, Bruno will see them in, take them to Victor's office, and make the introduction, because he's nothing if not consistent. When they get to Victor's office, the reception depends on how they left. If it was positive, then this interaction will be jovial and Victor will be happy to have them there. If it was negative, it'll be obvious that Victor really doesn't want to deal with them, but it'll also be obvious he's bringing them in because he's out of choices. Normally, I'd build this out both ways, but I'm going to build this out following the thought that everything went positive, since I'm fairly confident my group will take that route. Though, now that I've said that, they'll do the opposite. (laughs) You can't win them all. Victor will have drinks brought in for everyone and lets them know he's been made aware of their inquiries about Jackson Denman and his organization. I am not certain why you inquire about him, but I know that he is not the type of man one should trifle with lightly. Now, that being said, he does know a way to get the group into a facility that he knows is used by men working for Denman. However, as you'd expect, there's a catch. I do not want caps for this information. I need another job done, and I am willing to not only provide you with the address of said location, but the identification, uniforms, and clearances you will need in order to get into the building. On top of that, this is a non-negotiable deal. Either they do the job for Victor and they get what they need, or they don't do the job. He's not going to be mad, but he's also not going to provide them with any of the information he has about the target. And he admits this job is a little bit more complicated than the last one. You have heard of high intelligence during your information gathering excursions, yes? They have item of mine that they stole from me. Details of incident are not relevant, but the item is very relevant to me. Now, the item is a data card. He admits up front that the data card has details about his various dealings on it, and he's afraid they'll sell the card or the information on it to one or more of his rivals. It was taken yesterday, so he's fairly positive they haven't had the chance to fully decrypt the card and download the data. He just wants the card back. How they get it back is up to them, and Victor does not care how many robots or people have to be eliminated to make that happen. He tells the group that High Intelligence has several bases around downtown, but the information he has indicates the group in Soulard has the card. Ironically enough, if the group set up at McGurk's, they're nearly on top of High Intelligence, as the location Victor gives them is a block and a half north of McGurk's in an area that's supposed to be nothing more than the rubble of old buildings. Victor tells them that there's an entrance to a basement in that rubble, and that's where the robots do their business. 
I will not tell you how to do your business, friends, but I would suggest you keep your guns loaded and ready. This will not be easy theft job like the one you did for Corinth and Igmon. If they ask him how he knows about that, he'll just smile and say, you are not only one interested in family heirloom. I had someone staking out the office to try to steal it. You just got there first. He's not mad about it. He is, in fact, rather impressed. He apologizes for having to send them on a firefight mission, but does note that negotiation might be possible. But you will need to have either items they need for trade or enough caps to make them happy. Otherwise, they will not give you card and you will have to take by force. He will concede that if anyone in the group gets injured due to this job, he'll make sure they get proper medical attention when they return. He's got nothing more to give them and suggests they head off because the clock is ticking, my friends. We do not have much time. So we've covered the trip from McGurk's to Diamond Pass before, so I'm not really going to get into it here. Refer back to your notes for the information. Should only take about 20 to 30 minutes to get there. They'll head to the location provided by Victor, and everyone will recognize the pile of rubble since they've probably picked through it a time or two. However, they'll remember it as being a rather futile search, and the reason for that is because the robots of high intelligence have long since picked it clean of anything of value. They'll need to search for the entrance door. That's Endurance plus Survival, Difficulty 3. The reason for the high difficulty is because the entrance is in a difficult-to-find spot. It's a 4x4 section of concrete with handles on it that would seem indistinguishable from all the other concrete laying around. It's the handles that they'd notice. How they've gotten missed by scavengers is a question, but they're not going to argue with the results at the moment. Lifting the hatch, the group finds a set of stairs heading down into the basement below. Fifteen stairs later, they come out in a small lobby-like area with a Protectron robot standing guard in front of a steel door. Floating next to it is an iBot, obviously taking in any and everything that comes down the stairs. The stats for the Protectron are on page 363. The iBot is on page 359. Now, how this goes depends on the group. If they're willing to try to talk their way through this first, then the iBot checks them out for a moment before beeping at the Protectron, who then turns, unlocks the door, opens it, and stands aside, motioning for the group to enter. If the group comes in guns a-blazing, then the Protectron will attack as well as the iBot, and it's going to be game on from this point forward. They will have to pick the lock on the door, and that's Perception plus Lockpick Difficulty 4. Once that starts, all of the robots I detail moving forward will attack, so run things accordingly. But let's continue on as if our group has played it cool thus far. Once they're allowed into the room, they realize it's, it's way bigger than they thought. The room they enter is about 50 foot by 50 foot, and the walls, ceiling, and floor have been reinforced with steel plating. What they find odd is that they don't see any sort of shelving anywhere, and there's definitely more than enough space for it. What they do see are a couple of Mr. Handy robots hovering over a computer terminal, and from what they can pick up, they're trying to decode a data card. Now, but before we continue, we need to point out what else is in here. Four more Protectron droids, three obvious Mr. Gutsy droids, and another droid that appears to be a Mr. Handy. In other words, way more droids, or robots, depending on what we're calling them, that what is in here would seem to indicate is needed. How this goes depends on the group. One of the Mr. Handys on the terminal floats over to them and introduces themselves. Greetings, I am TG-225. What is it that brings you here today? TG isn't into small talk, so if the group gets anything not card-related out, he'll keep pressing until they mention it. 
He will act like there's nothing else here, and any check to prove otherwise will fail, so we're not going to detail it. Once they mention anything about the data card, TG will respond. As you can plainly see, we have a data card, but it's not for sale. Now the group can try to negotiate. It's a haggle, so normally this would be opposed charisma plus barter checks. However, since a Mr. Handy does not have barter, they'll use their speech skill to oppose. If the group succeeds, the robot will be willing to sell the card, since it's obvious the other one is getting frustrated by the inability to decode it. The price? 400 caps. The group can try to haggle that down, but the robot won't go lower than 350. If they have the caps and are willing to spend them, they can just buy the card and get out. If they don't have the caps but are still willing to negotiate, the robot has a proposition for them. We are curious about the device that the zookeeper uses to keep the animals in the park. If you could acquire one of these devices, we will gladly trade. Now, the group might be willing to consider this, but there are a couple of things they need to keep in mind. First, it's going to take them close to an hour to get to the park from here. Second, they know about the rumors of radiated animals getting out of the park and feasting on humans, which doesn't sound like fun. Third, in order to get a device, it's probably a good bet they'd actually have to go into the park, which means dealing with the animals on their home turf. Finally, chances are good that it would take a lot of time to do all of this, which would give the robots here a chance to decode and download the card before they got it back, making the entire process moot. So when they inevitably refuse the deal, TG will say to them, well then, that will mean our business has concluded. The group can try to reason with him, but he'll just note that we have robots out there that can acquire anything else we require. We do not need your assistance in those matters. At this point, the group can either leave, which means they fail the mission, or open fire. With all of the eyes on them, they can't get the drop on the robots, but it will be regular initiative. Note all of the robots on the scene and run accordingly. One thing to remind your group of is their luck points. If they're short on action points, luck points can be used to help them roll dice or re-roll dice, and while they'll have lost the points, it'll only be for a little bit. Also, they should be thinking to use any action points they pick up during the combat to roll extra damage dice. After all, the quicker they can drop a robot, the easier they'll make this entire thing for themselves. After two rounds, the door behind them will open, and the other Protectron and iBot will enter and join the fight, if they weren't already fought. This one's going to be bad. Uh, I'm doing it as a test of your group's combat abilities. Now, I've set the number of combatants to be a challenge for my group, which has seven members in it. If you're going with a four or five member group, drop some robots. I'd start with two of the Mr. Gutsies and a Protectron. If your group is even smaller than that, drop another Protectron and the iBots. When it's said and done, they can snatch the card out of the terminal. It should occur to them to destroy said terminal, but if they don't, hey, that's fine. The terminal is password protected, so if they want to try to access its perception plus lockpick difficulty 5, failure means they're locked out and a complication sets off an audible alarm. When they're done, they can head back for the stairs and back to Victor. He will definitely be happy to see them and will thank them profusely for getting the card for him. And as promised, he'll provide them with everything he's promised them. And we'll get into detail on that next week. That's because for the first time this season, it's time to do a recap on what my group did with the stuff we've already created. Now, one thing I do need to point out is that my group is at level five as we start. So I had to rework some of the encounters to make them more challenging. And I'll note what I did as we go along. 
A couple of months ago, I detailed everyone who was going to be a part of this game, but I was happily surprised to be adding one more player as we started. That would be my daughter's boyfriend, Clayton, who was also part of the finish of our Deadlands game, if you'll remember. And I'm glad to have him be a part of it because, frankly, if it wasn't for him, or more to the point, if it wasn't for my daughter insisting I buy the Fallout role-playing game so we could get him in, we wouldn't be playing the game. And for the record, Clayton is playing a survivor in our campaign. Also, Tyler did not join us for this first session, but we'll have him back next week, I'm pretty sure. So enough background talk, let's break down the first session. We started the game pretty much the same way as I'd written it, though I did have to make an adjustment for everybody but Clayton, since they'd played the module I'd run for a couple of sessions and wanted to keep their character's growth. I had them get from the Commonwealth to St. Louis by doing a a walkabout, basically, as it were, though I didn't really get into details with them because it wasn't important. Clayton, on the other hand, was already in St. Louis, so the getting to know you part of the opening still worked. It was just him getting to know the rest of the group instead of everyone to each other. As planned, they encountered rad roaches, though due to the group's level, which I said is five, I increased the number of rad roaches to one roach per group member. And that seemed to be a fairly balanced encounter. The group succeeded, but a couple of the group took some damage and some radiation damage, so some resources were going to be used to heal themselves. And as an aside, to me, a balanced encounter is one that challenges the group, but is one they should still be able to conquer. It's not necessarily about overwhelming numbers, but more about the challenge the encounter brings. So to have the group win, but to have to expend resources in the process, is a balanced encounter in my book. Anyway, let's get back to the action. The group finished up the encounter, then harvested roach meat from the rad roaches and searched the facility for goodies. Since members of the group have perks that allow them to find additional things, I had to include a few extra items, and I made two of them rat away so the two rat-infested characters could use them. As they emerged from the facility, the young boy ran up on them and begged them to save his mom. They agreed to do so, though they were somewhat reluctant as they believed this might be some sort of trap. Now, as we know from creating the scenario, it wasn't, though, again, I had to alter the numbers a bit to adjust for the level. So there were three raiders in the room. Most of the group decided to try to sneak in so as to not draw attention to themselves, though Jim chose not to, noting that a metal robot would have a heck of a time sneaking anywhere. And ultimately, all of them but Gabe and Scott failed, so it was okay, and it actually worked in their favor. Jim entered the room along with two others and attempted to talk the raiders down, but Gabe and Scott, since their sneaking was successful, managed to get themselves into decent firing positions. Both managed to badly wound a raider, and with those two, for all intents and purposes, out of the fight, they fairly easily took out the third. They got the caps we promised, and they were again on their way. Now, this is where things diverted a bit from the creation phase, as I had the game begin in the morning. So, two encounters and some walking took a few hours, which meant it was shortly after noon when they were done. So the group had a a ton of stuff they'd accumulated during the module we played, and combined with the stuff they picked up here, they noted it would be a good time to sell and trade. So I brought Liza's place into play earlier than I might have otherwise. They got in, Clayton negotiated for them, and got the prices a bit better in each direction, and the group managed to sell off all the stuff they didn't want for about 300 caps. They split those up, and several members of the group bought ammo, while Jim purchased new plating, noting it would give better resistances overall. When the purchasing was concluded, we wrapped the session, and we'll start next week's game with the group still at Liza's, so that will be the first job they'll be hired to do. 
And that's the show for this week. Next week on the build side, we'll see what Victor's got for our group and see where it all leads to. In the meantime, I'd ask to check out our other podcast, Role Playing History. This week, we check out the game voted best role playing game of all time in the 1996 Arcane Magazine poll of the 50 greatest role playing games of all time. That game, Call of Cthulhu. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgingandproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted property of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this program for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in checking out any of the fine products produced by Modifius, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, it's Bad GM Productions. The email is badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, the website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we have our group follow the trail on their mission of retribution. This is going to get interesting, I can assure you. But that's next week, friends. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table. <laughs>